the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA09. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do. And we're recording. It's ever progress, so we're doing it. I see. Um, cool. Hi, Taylor. How are you? Good. I, I was telling you, just like doing working on stuff, but one thing that we did this today is Juan pulled up a bunch of weeds in the yard and I've also had the worst allergies of my whole entire life. So I've had a lot of allergy pills. I'm like, <gasps> so Yikes. it's a little cloudy in here, good. but it's very, very stuffed in like here, this area under my nose hurts. Did not knock you out when my you eyes. take those pills? No, you know what? I need, I need to talk to a doctor of Elbert because like I desperately want to sleep on airplanes. I can take like three allergy pills and three three Dramamines and not fall asleep. Are, are you are you a nervous flyer? Yeah, but like, why can't my body just take a bunch of drugs and fall asleep? That would what be nice. Hell? That'd be nice. I can't sleep on planes because I'm really big and I'm always afraid that I'm gonna like kind of fart. One time I was flying to um to Vail and I was on a plane and I fell mm-hmm. asleep and I woke myself up by farting really loudly on the plane and I was like, oh my god, everybody looked at me. <laughs> And I was like, I'm just sure, never do this again. I'm sure that happens all the time. I don't know how anyone, I mean, I'm 5'3". I don't know how anyone an inch taller than me is goes on an airplane because I'm super uncomfortable. And I know people who are much taller than me who fly. One of my friends at work, he's like 6'4", and he flew the other day in the middle seat. And I'm like, Ugh. oh, my God. Sounds fucking terrible. Exit row. Always the exit row. <laughs> That's the rule. Um, cool. Well, we can go ahead and kick things off. Welcome to Doom to Fail our true crime slash history podcast about things slash relationships that were doomed to fail. I'm Farz, joined by Taylor, and I think today it is Taylor's turn to go first. Yes. It is Taylor's turn. Okay. So I'll tell you my drink, and then we'll segue over to you. Okay. I'm going to drink a big old glass of milk. Gross. You'll you'll understand why in the next episode. No, no, good for you. That's, that's gross. I used to drink milk when I was a kid, but I don't know. I can't imagine these days. Um, cool. Well, great. Mine is whiskey on the rocks. And the important part of that is rocks because guess what? I'm a geologist now from all the reading that I did this week. Isn't that exciting? Oh, is, is that touching on volcanologists? Or is it separate? It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot about geology this week. Sweet. Because we're talking about a volcano. Yeah. Um, and I was also thinking, like, why didn't I study science in school? Because then I'm like, this is all so cool. Like, I'm just like learning all this stuff. I'm like, this is awesome. And then actually, I know someone who is a geologist. And they went to a wedding with their partner. And their partner was just like, I don't know, something was so off about her. I was like talking to other people and I was like, is she okay? Did she like recently escape from a cult? Like what is going on? Like super weird. And my husband was like, she's just a geologist. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like that, that explained it to me. I did science. <laughs> I was a biology major for maybe a semester in college before I realized like it stops being cool and interesting and fun like real quick. Once you start getting into like the nitty gritty of like, the chemistry of things and like the deep science of it. Well, that's, that was actually part of my question. Cause like at what point when you study science, do people start asking you questions? You know, like I never got, far you don't have enough. To... yeah. I feel like that turning point is when you like become a scientist, you know, could be, 
Or when you have anyway. to do peer review papers, I think. One of the two. Yeah. Oh, that's true. When you're like in PhD school. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe people are getting sick of volcanoes because this is number four of the seven part series. So we're like over the crescendo of the of the volcano talk. Um, but then I was reading this book called Krakatoa, The Day the World Exploded. And I said, wow, like 15 times in the while I was reading it. So I'm super interested. I think it's still got some cool stuff that we can learn together. So we're talking about Krakatoa, Love it. which erupted on August 27th, 1883. That's my birthday. Cool. Hey, my event's on August oh. 27th, too. Wait, what year's yours? 1883? Mine's 1883. Mine's August 27th, Yours is not August 27th, 1883. Is it a volcano? No, but the events, that's... When that happened. That's so weird. I don't believe you. Okay, I'll tell you my story later then. Okay. <laughs> All right. Keep going. Okay. So, when we talked about Toba, the one that the first one that erupted 70,000 years ago, um I learned we learned a lot about human evolution. Remember? Different stages of man, we all came from those like 10,000 breeding pairs, all those things. And just like we talked about human evolution then, this time we're talking about geology and the study of geology and rocks in the earth. And some of our old friends pop up in the story as well that we've talked about in the past, which is super delightful. So we'll talk get to that. So reminder that there's levels of eruption. There's a volcanic explosivity index and each number up is double the one below it. Yep. And so this one actually... Um, fills our list so we've hit one at five six seven and eight so all of them are different levels of plinian which you also learned so there's like ultra plinian plinian those kind of overlap with the numbers but each number also has another fun adjective with it so number five is a cataclysmic eruption that was a vesuvius number six is a colossal Eruption, that's Krakatoa, we'll talk about today. Number seven is a super colossal, ultra Plinian, that's Tambora, that we talked about the last time. And then number eight is a mega colossal, like Toba, the first one we talked about. Well, this one's yeah. a six. Um, so just like Tambora and Toba, this one is in Indonesia. And um, where Krakatoa is located, like if you're looking at Australia, if you go to the east coast of Australia and go straight up, you're going to hit Malaysia. It's between Malaysia and Australia. Okay. Does that make sense? So picture it there. The island of Krakatoa. So it was like an island that had the volcano in the middle. It was part of a group of islands in that area. It may or may not have erupted in the past. Um, and obviously something else probably happened in the millions of years that is not recorded. But in recorded history, it could, have, it could have erupted anywhere between three and 11 times, but like maybe two that we can actually kind of confirm with evidence. There is a book called the Javanese Book of Kings, which is a non-scientific history of the area written in the 19th century. So kind of a lot of made up stuff. But in that book, the author said that there was an eruption in 416 AD. And it's hard because their calendar was different than, you know, the Roman yeah. calendar obviously. So like, it's a little bit weird to like juggle that around. But in that history, they write that there was like a big bang and smoke in the air and, and all of those things. But there's no scientific evidence for that. There is a little bit of evidence for an eruption happening in 535 AD, which might be the one that he was talking about, but just got the date wrong. Because in China, 
for all of history, since China's been able to write, they've been taking notes about everything. So there's a note in 535 AD in China being like, we just heard a big sound. We don't know what it is. Oh, wow. So that could have been Krakatoa. Um, there's also um, an ongoing list of things that happened in like Java and like Indonesia and this area that like the native people have been writing on for a long time. And something that happens culturally is like, if you have like a, a record keeper in town who's keeping records of like things like, oh, this year the crops were like this, or this year, like whatever, these people came in from the ocean, all these things. If you are, um, if everything's going well, you're going to keep putting things in that book. If everything is not going well, you're going to stop because you have to rebuild your society. Does that make sense? Like, I, so you're saying after, that you would stop doing history? Yes, because you literally, all, all of the houses got destroyed. So you can't, you take a break. So in 416, there's nothing happened. They kept writing. But in 535, they stopped writing for about two decades because maybe they were busy Whoa. fixing everything, you know? Yeah. So that's that's the kind of evidence that we have that maybe it happened in 535. There's another one in 1680. And we'll talk more about this. This is like, this is the Dutch East Indies. Um, so a lot of Dutch people in this story, but a sailor named Johan Wilhelm Vogel arrived in 1679 to Sumatra, then went back to Batavia. Batavia is Jakarta, um, which is the capital of Indonesia. And he noticed that Krakatoa was different than the first time that he went past it. Like that it was a little bit like shorter and there was like smoke coming out of it. Um, a sailor told him there had been an eruption and they'd seen some like pumice. You could see the smoke and there were little earthquakes. So it was like a little bit of evidence that that happened, but we don't know if there was like a huge eruption before the big, the big one. Make sense? Yes. Something okay. probably happened. So, we're not 100% sure. There's a lot of disparate accounts. We'll never know. It is all circumstantial. Yes, but we knew it was like not a regular old island. We knew something was up. Right. You know, even before, like people knew what volcanoes were and they knew and they, you know, would explain it like, you know, there's a really mean God on that island. And you're like, sure. Yeah, there is like, don't it's going to it's mean. Um, it's like always kind of smoking. So we know this is a Dutch East Indies, like I just said, and a little history of the area. Obviously, there's a big slave trade going through here. Um, this is a little bit after the mutiny on the bounty, but a little bit like kind of in that same area. Um, captain Cook, who was the captain that um, was right before the mutiny on the bounty that knew the captain from the bounty, the one who was murdered in Hawaii. Remember that guy? I don't about? know the name. He's like one of the one of the big Dutch explorers. Anyway, he stopped at Krakatoa um, and like had had written about it before he was murdered in Hawaii. And this is also what they were what the Dutch were getting from this area. A lot of it was spices, and people had been getting spices from Indonesia for almost a thousand years, um, and bringing it back to Europe. So pepper comes from this. Pepper is like one of the big spices that comes from this part of Java. And um, our friend Pliny the Elder, he in one of his encyclopedias, when he wrote the first encyclopedia, he said that the Roman Empire spends so much on pepper that they're going to go bankrupt. And then he later died in Mount Vesuvius. Which is kind of fun. That's that. is, there like, pepper. is there more utility to pepper than a seasoning? So, no, but like imagine not having it. So like this, this is another thing. Have you ever seen that meme where white people find a bay leaf from their Chipotle and they freak out? <laughs> I haven't, but that sounds right. It's like people being like, oh my God, I paid $15 for the salad and there's a leaf in it. Like I'm going to call Chipotle 
whatever. And then people are like, white people spent like thousands of years colonizing the world for spices. And these people don't know what a bay leaf is. (laughs) Is your your position on this is that if you don't have pepper, I mean, that's a, you gotta buy a lot of pepper to bankrupt the country. Yeah. But if you don't have it, like, I don't know if you don't have any spices, like, I don't know. Getting spices sounds really exciting, obviously. Yeah. And like, that's not my opinion. That's like colonialism. Right. <laughs> a lot right. of people spices. Fair enough. That's you know? exactly why it happened. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there's also a, a um, starting in like the 11th, 11th century, there was a London Guild of Pepperers, which is now the London Guild of Grocers. It just sounds very British. So like we've always, we've been thinking about pepper for a very long time. Um, but now it's the 1880s. It's definitely Dutch in that area. Um, it's in in Jakarta. They're doing things like they're building these big Dutch bridges. Um, and in the book that I read, they said that the best painting it, that we have or visual we have of these bridges is actually a painting that Van Gogh painted in Arles when he was institutionalized of one of these big bridges. And you can see it oh, cool. if you look it up. It's called um, it's called the Langoli Bridge in Arles. L a n g l o i s Langoli. I don't know whatever. L a n g l o i s. So, yeah, that's really so it's pretty. Dutch. There's a lot, it's really pretty, of course. And so then there's a lot of like, there's a lot of slavery, but there's also a lot of mixed culturally. There's people from China there. There's people from all over the world in this area. It's a big port area, as we've learned over the years. Um, and it's run by the Dutch East India Company, which you also have learned about. So now I need to take two side quests, one into evolution and two into tectonic plates. So first, Charles Darwin, who we know, had a colleague named Alfred Russell Wallace, who was also figuring out the same thing at the same time. So Darwin is in the Galapagos Islands. Wallace is in Indonesia, near Jakarta, in this area. Wallace is actually the person who wrote a letter to Darwin and like used the words survival of the fittest first. So he was Whoa. like figuring this out at the exact same time. He was a little bit more of like, He's not as famous as Darwin, obviously. He was kind of like always like they call him like the moon of Darwin because he's always like in his orbit. They were like friends kind of. Darwin like took all the credit. Whatever. That's probably more complicated than I just said. But you know what I mean? But the basic idea is that they're looking at islands and they're looking at like the plants and the animals. And they're like, well, why is this here? And why is that there? Why does Australia have animals that nobody else has? You know, like, why are some animals everywhere? Why are some only in some places? Same with plants. Why does like why do islands have similar vegetation if they're separated? So they're asking these questions and trying to understand like what could have caused this to happen. So part of their theory is they're like, something has to be, you know, bringing things between the islands in some way or something. So that's kind of, they're they're thinking about that. And then much later, um, there's a German scientist named Alfred Weniger, and he was born in 1880 And he was looking at rocks the way Darwin was looking at alive things. Like he was looking at the earth and the surface of the earth in geology. And he was like, have you guys seen the continents and the way that they fit together like a puzzle? And people were pissed. They were like, fuck you. No. He wrote a paper in 1915 and they like ostracized him from the community. They were like, there's no way that's true. The earth is is fixed. The people like the plates don't move. There aren't plates. Nothing moves. This is, everything is just the way it is, you know? And people were really, really mad. Um, and then now, there's. I know you have not seen this, but, like, now there's literally a children's movie called Ice Age Continental Drift 
about the continents drifting apart. Like in like less than a hundred years. Have you seen it? There's like seven of them. One of them is actually called Continental Drift, um, talking about when that actually happened. Because now you learned that in elementary school, but we didn't. We didn't accept that tectonic plates until 1965. No way. Um, which is wild. Wait, so yeah. we were we had a we flew to the moon before we accepted that theory. We flew to the moon so. in 68, but close. Close enough. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's wild. Yeah. Like, way recently, like, after our parents were born, you know, yeah, like yeah. something that we, like, definitely take for take for granted. So we just, like, hadn't thought about land moving. So plate tectonics is telling us that the land is constantly moving, which is both the ocean floor and the continental floor, which is, like, the land that we live on. Continental drift is continents, um, like, maybe being Pangea, like, one big continent, and then pulling apart, you know? yeah. So um, in the 1960s, people started to revisit Alfred Wenger's things, like his his um, his hypotheses, because they were given access to ground penetrating radar because of the Cold War, because they, they could say like, oh, yeah, no, we have these guys up in Alaska studying the ground when really they're listening for Soviet nuclear tests, right. you know. So it gives them the opportunity to, to actually have these scientific discoveries. There's also things that they're learning, like in the Arctic, there's something, this is complicated and I don't 100% have it, but there's something where like when a rock is formed, it like is, and it cools to like be a rock, its magnetic field locks in to the way that it was, the day it was formed. So when a rock like finally cools, which is like solidifies and becomes a rock, it's the magnetic field of that rock will always point north and south. Like, you know, the rock can move, but like the magnetic field in it will always point to the poles, north and south. So when they're looking at rocks in different layers, their magnetic poles move, which either means the poles moved in history or the land moved. You know? I didn't know rocks had magnetic poles. They do. Does that mean you can use a magnet on a rock? Come at me. No. So you have to like have a very special thing to find. Yes. No, rocks aren't magnetic, but they have like this like magnetic history inside of them. Taylor, as our um as our resident geologist, what is the very sophisticated thing you need to use to figure that out? Um uh, Damn that fars. (laughs) Damn it. That's in my next that's in the next part of my PhD uh, in geology. I'll let you know. So Either either the the either the poles moved or the ground moved. And so it means the ground moved, you know, so like the ground has shifted. Um, incidentally, one of the scientists that was one of the top people to bring this tectonic plate idea in the 60s, his name was Dr. S. Keith Runcorn. He, in 1995, when he was 73, he was murdered in his hotel room in San Diego as part of a robbery, which oh, is terrible. Sad. He was just like about to speak about geology. It was like old nerd man um, who's murdered, which is sad. Um, so anyway, now people are like, we believe you, science, and we're learning about tectonic plates for the first time, and it's 1965. So here's wait, a couple wait, things. What's this guy's name again? Div- vinegar? vinegar? Uh, yeah, Vinegar is a guy. Yeah, he's the guy. W-E-G-E-N-E-R. Vinegar. Alfred. He's the guy from um, who wrote that paper in 1915 that everybody was mad about. Got it. Not the guy who was murdered. Okay. So here's a couple things that I learned about plates. There's oceanic plates that are the plates that are under the ocean, like the ocean floor. When those bump into each other, it creates islands. 
which we've seen. So, you know, underneath the ground, there's like underneath the ocean, there's like all those like mountains and stuff and they grow as that moves and that makes an island. There is, there are continental plates. So that's like land, land. And when those hit each other, they create huge mountains, like Mount Everest huge. Right. Because it's too like, big plates hitting each other they create the himalayas and like those big mountains um the san andreas fault that i live on is the is a conservative plate boundary and in this case it's two continental plates not hitting each other it's like as dramatically as like the himalayas do but they're next to each other so in the book they described it as like a tire against the curb when you're parallel parking Right. So okay. like that's what's happening here. So it's creating like little mountains and like little things, like nothing like the Himalayas. Um, but then when that kind of like scooches and like the pressure builds up, that's when we have earthquakes over here. But it's not going to create a volcano because the volcano is created by a subject subduction zone, which is when an ocean an ocean plate and a land plate hit each other, and the ocean plate is heavier because it's further down than the continental plate. I'm like this is I'm using my hands, so this yeah, is helpful. Yeah. So the ocean, the ocean plate goes underneath the continental plate, and then parts of the continental plate kind of fall into it, and that creates sort of that like hole that creates a volcano. Oh my god, that's as far as I got. No, no, so, okay. So, so this stuff, Taylor, like, I, I am like, <laughs> I've always been infinitely fascinated with this stuff because it is like scales and orders of magnitude that is so hard for your brain to even comprehend and wrap around. But then, I know. But then, you know, you're, you're joking about, but you do the hand thing that you just did, which nobody can see, but like you do the hand thing and it's like, oh, that makes sense. Like if there's magma in the middle of the earth and then the only mm -hmm. thing separating it is the crust of the earth and the crust of the earth mm -hmm. goes up, is creating a spout for magma to flow out of, hence volcanoes. I love it. We both use our hands. I think, I think we got it. <laughs> we are scientists, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, another thing that I wanted to tell you is that the African continental plate is slowly moving towards Europe. And that's why, like, Turkey has a lot of earthquakes. Because it's, like, right in the middle of that spot. Makes sense. Which I thought was interesting. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, now we know how volcanoes happen. They're in those, um, in those zones. They are, uh, wait, what's it, what are, oh, in those subduction zones. And... Now we're back to Krakatoa. It's a volcano, which we know. So a little bit of history again in this area. In 1782, the Treaty of Paris made the Dutch East India Company bankrupt. Um, Napoleon made his brother the King of Denmark because of course he did. So Napoleon's brother was like technically in charge of the area for a little bit. Um, but now it's the 1800s and people are living on the island of Krakatoa. They're living on the neighboring islands. Um, they're living in Jakarta, which is called Batavia at the time, which is about 100 miles away from Krakatoa. And what makes this story different that I know I talked about last time so when Tambora erupted in like 1815, um, there was no global communication. Now there is. So this is the first event that the whole world knew about basically at the same time. Whoa. Because it was the biggest disaster and we had telegraphs and we had underwater cables. Um, so in 1844, the first telegraph me me message was sent by Samuel Morse. Do you remember what he sent? No. no. What has God wrought? Oh, there's no way I was going to guess that. I'm going to think a knock-knock joke, <laughs> it's maybe. It's... No. Um, so by 1856, they have telegraphs in Jakarta. So they have like a city gas works. Um, in 1870, they had their own ice works, which I thought was fun because before that, they had to import ice from Boston, which sounds insane. Like, how do you get ice from Boston to Indonesia on a boat? 
keeping it very cold. Um, there's a telephone. So things are kind of like starting to happen pretty quickly. And so it is. Okay. Another thing just to tell you is that there's the telegraph, which kind of goes through like the air and then there have these subterranean cables. So the first one they laid broke, but the second one that they lay in the um, early 1880s, it works. So you can quickly send a message from like Indonesia to like mainland China and like up to Malaysia and like up to the rest of the world. But literally they put a cable in the ocean, which I know they do now, but like it feels like a long time ago to do that. I always think that's crazy. That is crazy. How much, cable do, you, and so how the much cable do you take with you? Like, how do you know? God, there's so much science lot. involved in it. And so it also was able to work. The sub-oceanic cables were invented and only able to work because of a rubber that was only found in the Java area, which is cool. So like only it's because of like Indonesia in this area, found a rubber plant that was able to put rubber around these cables and have that work. So I'm now uh, going to we, 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 we don't use those cables anymore. Well, well, I mean, I hope not. It's been, it's been. Do we have, do we have any undersea cables? No, because we have satellites. I don't know. I'm looking at it right now. Wow, man, it's crazy what humans have done. <laughs> like humans are really like me, not me. I'm not. I'm not and, ingenious. Uh, but yeah, like no, not, not me either. And in a short amount of time. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. I, I can I pause? Can I pause to read you a poem? Yes. By Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling about underwater cables. I love Kipling. I love his later work. <laughs> okay, ready? <laughs> yes. The wrecks, <laughs> the wrecks dissolve above us. Their dust drops down from afar, down to the dark, to the utter dark, where the blind white sea snakes are. There is no sound, no echo of sound in the deserts of the deep. Or the great gray level plains of ooze where the shell bird cables creep. Here in the womb of the world, here on the tie ribs of earth, words and the words of men flicker and flutter and beat, mourning, sorrow and gain, salutation and mirth, for a power troubles the still that has neither voice nor feet. They have wakened the timeless things. They have killed their father time. Joining hands in the gloom, a league from the last of the sun. Hush. Men talk today over the waste of the ultimate slime. And a new world runs between them, whispering, let us be one. Whoa. Kind of fun. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. read it in a very um, mysterious way, too, which like helped with the atmosphere, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think it's, that, it's creepy. I get it creepy that it's down there um so now it's 1883 1883 is a very wet year um so it, it ra it's raining a ton there's always little earthquakes around this area but people start to notice weird things a couple weeks before um the actual eruption there's a captain who passes krakatoa and he's like it's a little dusty over there like the air is weird you know like when we woke up in the morning there was like a little layer of dust on the deck like we're not sure exactly what's happening um there's a woman named mrs vanderstock who loses a plate it falls off the wall and she like writes that down because like things are like the windows start shaking at random times like so the earth it feels uncomfortable. There's yeah. like a weird vibration in the air that like everybody can feel. And also another magnet thing, like magnets get messed up because there's iron in the ash that like is starting to come out of Krakatoa. So that's messing up like compasses and things like that. Because mm. like messing up the air. So it's just like 
feels weird around. Um, people start sending um, messages back to Europe being like something weird is happening. Um, a fisherman said that he saw the beach of Krakatoa on fire. Like, they're like something, something's going on. Hey, don't, um, don't like animals know this shit because they're like somehow tuned into like the magnet, magnet. You're going to get to this, aren't you? They might. I have okay. a story about this. Just okay, okay. But yes, um, exactly. Oh, another thing that I learned in this book that I, um, I forget exactly where it fits in, but Julius Reuter, like of Reuters fame, is like one of the first people who was like a international, like trying to get news across the world. Um, he started with pigeons, like having like pigeons carry news um, over long areas of time. And I guess a couple decades before this, he was able to get news of the assassination of President Lincoln to the UK in 12 days. <laughs> So it's kind of fun. Jeez. However, he did that on like a fast boat. Yeah. Um, so yes, to the animals. Do you remember when there was that little earthquake in the in like the East Coast and all the animals, the DC Zoo went nuts? I don't remember that. Got weird. No, what um, did they do? I was in New York when it happened, and they just like started flying around weird, and the monkeys are acting weird. All the animals are acting weird, and they don't really know why that happens. Yeah. Um, but it's the end of the summer. It's near the end of the summer. People are trying to act like everything is normal. Um, there's a circus in town in um, in Jakarta. And in the circus, there's a baby elephant. And it's really freaking cute. And it starts to kind of freak out. Like, they, who knows? But, like, maybe because of this. And the woman who was in charge of the baby elephant um, brings it to her room and it destroys the hotel room. And the next I day, mean, it, like, feels better. So it, like, knew it was coming. I don't know. If, if Dumbo saw us anything, it's that maybe it missed its mom. Oh, no, oh, never watched the movie again. So sad. Same. Um, so there's a, there's a masked ball the night before, um, as well as people are trying to like they're going to the circus, they're having a good time, they're trying to live their lives, even though things are weird. At ten o two a.m. on Sunday, the twenty seventh of August, eighteen eighty three, Krakatoa erupts. It completely destroys the island it was made of. So like Vesuvius, it's still a mountain. You know, you can still like see it. Krakatoa is gone. Oh, wow. Um, it's totally gone. The island is totally gone. 13% of the earth vibrated. Like, people felt it thousands of miles away. They heard it thousands of miles away. Um, it was, like, something that, like, people recorded hearing, you know, just super far away. And again, like we saw with Tambora, they were like, are we being attacked? Is this, like, cannons? Like, what is this? It's just, like, it was one of the loudest sounds ever recorded in the history of the world. It went around the earth, like, seven times. Oh wow! Yeah, up? there's there's a there's this somebody did a graph of like um, Krakatoa, the island, like today, or like mm -hmm. it's a picture of the island today, and then it shows where the original summit was, and I'd say probably mm -hmm. two thirds of it are gone, give or take. It's hard to and tell that's, with the elevation. That's actually that's not it. That's a new island. That's a new island. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, I'll tell you about it a little. Krakatoa was totally gone. So some things that happen, obviously, is everyone on the island dies. Anyone that was like near it dies. There's lightning in the clouds. The Which, ash you were living, goes 20... You were living on this? Yeah, like around it and like, around, like the islands near it. Yes. Because also because oh. like volcanic islands are very lush. Yeah. You, know? you like grow a lot of stuff there. Um, so the ash goes like 24 miles up into the air, hits the trade winds. So then that starts to go all over the world. Um, the at 5 p.m. pumice starts to fall, which burns, you know, obviously burns home homes and people. Um, people all over the world are now hearing about this and they're also keeping track of the weather. So we talked about this 
the last time with Tambora where like we didn't know the weather. People would just ask the oldest person they knew, you know, right. like, has it always been like this in June? You know, and like Thomas Jefferson was one of the first people to write down the weather like a daily. And Benjamin Franklin was like, maybe it's a volcano. Like These guys are just thinking about this stuff all the time. But so we have a lot of logs of the weather all over the world after Krakatoa erupted because Victorians would like write it down in their diaries. It was like a thing to do during that time. Yeah. Um, so we we know that like, in England, there were brilliant sunsets. So there's an artist named Church, one named Ashcroft, who did some beautiful watercolors. Probably The Scream by Munch was I'm inspired the by the right sunsets. Now. Yeah. And um, people could hear the sounds from thousands of miles away. But um, they knew what it was because it was the first time that there was like global news. And people like knew it was happening pretty quickly. So Krakatoa is the most deadly volcanic eruption that we have on our list. Um, the Dutch said the death toll was 36,417, but it's estimated it could be up to 120,000 people died. And a lot of them died because of the tsunami that came afterwards. So right. obviously it like messed up the ocean and then there was a tsunami. Um, it killed a lot of people recently there, like there when it just happened. Um, it, the, the water rushed so fast that like in England, Charles Darwin's son was um, like keeping track of the weather and he noticed a little like blip in the water. <laughs> like wow. it got all the way to England, you know, like there was like a little bit of like a, a little bit of like a four inch higher tide in in like Europe than usual. There's a question that's probably not answerable. What, what, oh. okay, so do the math on like, why is it that one eruption is so much bigger than the other? All it comes down to is pressure and the ability for that pressure to alleviate itself. So does that imply that, an, a, like for example, Krakatoa, the reason it was so powerful is because the pressure built longer because maybe the way the plates collided were denser and stronger and couldn't erupt sooner? Maybe, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I figured that'd probably be an unanswered question. And I wonder if it's like the the depth. Maybe it's like the depth of like the of like how far down it goes. Like maybe it goes like further into the core than like other ones. Maybe maybe like a mantle in a core. Oh God, I don't um. But I mean, it's a good question. Um, and then also like Tambora was technically higher on the scale, but it was mostly the um. Atmospheric, atmospheric effects that made Tambora so deadly because um, it was because it was so big. Do you remember we talking about this? Like if it had been like a smaller eruption, then like the um, like the way that like the light reflected off the ash like made it worse. Right. For some right. reason. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember, but you know what I mean. So there's that too. So um, there are tons of reports of um, people across the coast of Africa and along the Indian Ocean finding just like huge pieces of pumice stone, like up to like a year or a year or two later, um, coming up on the beach filled with skeletons of yeah. people and animals. Jesus. Because like they, people would get killed in the pumice and it would just get like swept off to sea. So there's a lot of people who died that way. Um, there's the summer temperatures in the Northern Hemisphere um, fell by the average of like one degree, which like, in the terms of climate change and thinking about that, like a one degree change, like if it's like 70 to 69, who cares? But if it's freezing to, if it's not freezing to freezing, then like people die. You right. know what I mean? Like that right. degree is a big difference. So um, 
one story of a family that uh, that did survive. They were the Byernick families. They were in Anher, which is a port town that was very close to um, Krakatoa. Mrs. Byernick was like, things are weird. Like, things have been weird for a few weeks. Um, that morning, she asked to go to her country house, which was up on a mountain. And her husband was like, no, we're fine. Like, let's stay here in town. He went down to the beach and he saw the ocean begin to swell. He saw that like pullback, like that weird thing the ocean does when he knows like a tsunami is coming. So them and their servants probably that probably is a whole thing that wasn't great. They started running up this hill to get to their cottage. And it was like pitch black in the middle of the day. There's pumice coming down. They're all burned. She's in her thing. She looks down at her arms and she sees that they're dirty and she tries to wipe off the dirt, but it's her skin. Yeah. It's her burned skin. Yeah. They're just like, and they're running in like some of her, you know, servants get there. Some of them don't, but their whole actual house is totally destroyed, but they, they do survive by being able to climb that hill and hiding in that, in that house. Um, but it was just like, obviously a horror show. Um, there's chaos, you know, there's loud booms for almost 20 hours. Um, the tsunami, you know, is seen everywhere. Um, by the fall, like a couple months later, the atmosphere in New York was changed that firefighters in Poughkeepsie thought that there was a fire and they kept looking around trying to find a fire and they couldn't find one because it was just like the atmosphere was like, red you know like brilliant sunsets like totally different um colors like we know um so after this happened um obviously there's a ton of cleanup a lot of people are dead a lot of people are you know just like destroyed in, in many different ways um the native population of this area is and was mostly Muslim. And they started to become more devout and believe that maybe their God was punishing the white people for like the Dutch for being there. Not that there aren't white Muslim people, but you know, like the Dutch for, for yeah. being there. And in 1888, there was a peasants revolt in the Bantan re region. It started with a stabbing of a Dutch politician that led to some changes in that area. So that's kind of happening between like the 1880s and like the 1900s. There's a bunch of unrest in the area, like politically. But in the meantime, in 1930, uh, there's an island that appears where Krak Krakatoa, Krakatoa, Toa used to be. Um, there were a couple little islands that came up between um, then and 1930, but they kept kind of going back into the ocean. They didn't pop up for very long. But the one you see right now is called Anak Krakatau, which means the son of Krakatoa. Oh, and it's kind of cute. It was cute, and yeah, and it's also cool because it's a new island, and so we can go back to thinking about evolution and like what grows on a new island what animals are on a brand new island? Like it was an opportunity to be like, what is the first thing here? So guess what the first thing that this, the first animal they found on the island? Cockroach. Spider. Oh, I like spiders. And it was a little spider. And I don't, I don't like, like spiders, but this is so cute. I think he got there on like a little parachute. Like he made his little, his little. Spider, yeah. The webbing you know, thing. Spider web. Yeah. Into a and parachute. Throw it out and then he and like then... parachuted onto the island. It's really yeah. cute. And was like, I'm going to live it by myself. So I feel, hopefully, hopefully he had a good life. Um, then other animals started to come and it's like how they get there. So either from like being like, maybe like they floated over on like a piece of pumice or a log. People went there to try to like watch the new vegetation and see what was going to happen. And of course they brought rats. So there's rats on the island now. Um, those came definitely from people. Um but, you know, some of the seeds might come from, like, you know, bird poop has seeds in it. Maybe that's how they got there. But it's, like, it's been an opportunity to be, like, what happens if we start from nothing? What happens? And so they're, like, you know, is it stuff, like, under the pumice? Maybe there's still seeds. Maybe there's still this, like, underneath these things. We don't know. So it's interesting. Um, other things that I learned about that area that I just hadn't gotten this far yet. 
um, is that the Dutch actually remained in control of um, of Indonesia until the 1940s when the Japanese invaded in World War II. And um, Indonesia got its independence in 1945 after World War II was over. So I just didn't know that. Um, so that's it. It's a really big one. And here's the things that I feel like I, my three big takeaways is I learned, well, I didn't know these things yet. Hold on. I learned about subduction zones, which is like the ocean plate hitting the continental plate and creating that volcano because of the pressure. We learned about that. I learned about tectonic plates and that that's a relatively new thing. I also learned that other, as far as we know, other planets don't have continental drift and tectonic plates. Weird. I wonder why. Like there might well, be one of the moons of like Jupiter might have them, but they don't have oceans, right? That's a big part of it. But like, I think we're alone in that, potentially. Actually, wait, what makes the continent drift? Is it the waves of the ocean? It's just like they're constantly moving from like pressure from the core. So it's not the ocean. It's like the core is pressure up moving around. So it's like the the oceanic plate is moving and the continental plate is moving um, because they're always kind of like being agitated by the core the and the whole so reason scary. they're being agitated by the core this is it's so scary this is my i'm going to end on a real scary thing this is the third thing i learned that it, that's happening from the core because the core is cooling so as the core cools it has to have that pressure and the pressure is released by moving around the plates by volcanoes by like things like that that we see and what's going to happen eventually is the earth's core is going to just cool and then that's it and then what happens? The Earth is over. That everything will die. Yeah, but then it will only be dead by then. Yeah, isn't the sun supposed to explode too, though? Yeah, totally. I don't know which one's going to happen first. And then isn't like another galaxy supposed to absorb our galaxy? Well, like our our galaxy is like always growing. But we there's like a special point that I sometimes we watch YouTube videos about that scares me, where like it ends and we can never go any further. But, but the galaxy keeps getting pulled out that way. I don't know. This is it's a lot more existential than you think it would be. I think it's just a volcano exploding. But then you're like, no, it's like scientific discoveries, and it's trying to figure out what's going on, and it's like understanding that it's not a god, understanding that it's the Earth. But also, is that more terrifying that the Earth is like doing all these crazy things inside the core? And that's something you learn in elementary school, but you don't. I don't think about it as like scarily as it is as I do now. Wait, so hold <laughs> now on. I'm scared. So, so what? Uh, what? By two point eight years from now, the surface temperature of the Earth will have reached three hundred degrees Fahrenheit. At this point, In any two remaining years? life will no two point eight billion. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so, and then, then but the core four... is cooling. Is the Earth's core cooling? I hope someone uses this as like you can put us in your bibliography for your project at school. Yeah, um, the Earth's core is oh god, it's cooling faster than previously thought. Cool, 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 cool. Um, how Earth's cooling molten core could destroy the planet. BBC Science Focus. I'm gonna take some deep breaths. I agree. God, Wait, solidification why... of the outer core. 
Um, the inner core is expected to consume most or all of the outer core 3.4 or 3 to 4 billion years from now, resulting in an almost completely solidified core composed of iron and other heavy elements. The surviving liquid envelope will mainly consist of lighter elements, yada, yada, yada. The interior will cool less efficiently, which would slow down or stop the inner core's growth. In either case, this can result in a loss of magnetic dynamo. The magnetic field of the Earth will decay in 10,000 years. It will cause a... I don't know what any of this means. Oh yeah, God, I don't I'm know sure what any of this means. Episode, we, well, anyway, that's, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, I'm a, did you know I'm a sun, geologist. Did you know that the sun is going to grow to a level where it will consume the Earth because it will get so big? It's yes. called the, its red giant mm-hmm. phase. I did know that. I did know that. You learned that? Inexplicably, when you're a kid, they teach you that, which I don't even want to know now. Because, like, it's not tomorrow. I just like don't even want to think about it. It kind of makes everything futile, doesn't it? Like, wh- why are we even doing anything? Totally why are we, why are we doing this podcast? Like, why? Why? Why no. am I lo- looking at the everything... Cowboys score right now? Like, who cares? Literally, nothing matters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dope. Dope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I cool. Hope. So, three, th- three more volcanoes to go. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it matters. Not that any of this matters. But yes. We have <laughs> Not that it matters. Now. But I know a lot more about volcanoes than I did a year ago. We're all um, going to die in a horrible flame. Somehow. Somehow. Um, so, cool. That's Great. all I got. Thanks. Well, thanks, Taylor. That was um, fun. Do you have any? Do you have anything you want to read out? Um, I did, but I can't remember what it is. I don't have any listener mail. Um, oh, I did want to say my friend Elizabeth has been listening and, um, she's very cute. And she was like, I've been yelling along with you guys. And she's like, I've been acting like you're just in my house with me talking to me. So I thought Aww. that was very nice. So I just Thank you, Elizabeth. Hi. Um, and yeah, that's all I got for now. Please write to us. Doom to fill pod like, at Gmail. Break. And all of the socials at Doom to fill pod. There you go. Uh, okay. Thanks, we'll go ahead and cut this off and rejoin y'all on Wednesday.